This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, October 4th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Daniel Davis. New York City is banning the term illegal alien. And what's more, they say they'll fine you up to a quarter million dollars if you say it. Today, we'll discuss that situation with heritage legal expert Hans von Spakovsky. We'll also have him weigh in on the latest impeachment news in D.C. and whether foreign leaders staying at the Trump Hotel is a problem. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review or a five-star rating on iTunes and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. President Trump on Thursday urged Ukraine and China to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son. Here's what he said to reporters. You start an investigation into the Bidens because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with, uh, with Ukraine. So I would say that President Zelensky, if it were me, I would recommend that they start an investigation into the Bidens. Because nobody has any doubt that they weren't crooked. That was a crooked deal, 100 percent. Those comments come as Democrats ramp up impeachment efforts, claiming that the president used military aid money as leverage to get Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. President Trump has denied pressuring Ukraine, and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also denies pressure from the Trump administration. But Trump has maintained that Biden's actions as vice president in regards to Ukraine were corrupt and helped enrich his son. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is asking Speaker Nancy Pelosi to stop the impeachment proceedings until she answers certain questions, which he outlined in a letter. One of those questions is, do you intend to hold a vote of the full House authorizing your impeachment inquiry? McCarthy tweeted Wednesday, quote, given the enormity of the question at hand, impeaching a duly elected president, the American public deserves fairness and transparency, end quote. This comes on the heels of a New York Times report that Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was in conversations with the whistleblower via his staff before the complaint went public. Hong Kong is preparing to invoke a British colonial era law to ban protesters from wearing face masks. The move comes amid ongoing protests and skirmishes with police, Hong Kong residents have taken to the streets repeatedly since early summer to express opposition to Chinese encroachment on Hong Kong. The city's chief executive, Carrie Lam, called a special meeting of her executive council to propose the face mask ban, which would go into effect Friday. The law would also allow the government to impose curfews, censor media, and take the control of ports and all transportation facilities, according to the Wall Street Journal. A doctor in England who reportedly lost his job after refusing to use transgender pronouns also lost his legal case on Wednesday. Dr. David Macarath, who worked for the Department for Work and Pensions, said he was fired for not calling patients by their chosen gender instead of their biological sex. He argued in court that his firing amounted to discrimination based on his Christian beliefs. The employment tribunal that heard his case said that his Christian beliefs were, quote, incompatible with human dignity, end quote. Well, it was one year ago that Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer, walked into an apartment she thought was her own and shot and killed the man who was there. His name was Botham Jean. He was 26 years old and African-American. On Wednesday, Geiger was found guilty of murder and received 10 years in prison. But what happened next was unexpected and moved even the judge to tears. 
The victim's brother, Brant Jean, said this to Geiger. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Up next, we'll have a conversation with Hans von Spakovsky. Exciting news for Heritage members. Our 2019 President's Club is taking place October 21 through 23 in Washington, D.C. This is an exclusive event for Heritage members to hear directly from our experts and other conservative leaders. This year, that includes Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. To learn more about how you can attend, please call 1-800-546-2843. That's 1-800-546-2843. Well, we're joined now in the studio by Hans von Spakovsky. He's a senior legal fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. Hans, thanks for being back on. Sure. Thanks for having me. So we have a lot uh, that I want to get to uh, today regarding a new hate speech policy in New York City, which uh, you say violates the First Amendment, and you've written for that at the Daily Signal. Um, But also Congress getting up in arms about foreign leaders and wealthy business people staying at the Trump Hotel in D.C., and whether that constitutes uh, some kind of corruption or violation of the Constitution. Uh, But first, because impeachment is so fast moving and there's new information coming out, I want to start with that. Um, You know, we've been learning more about the Trump-Ukraine conversations, but the latest news is about Adam Schiff, uh, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, Reports have emerged that his staff was actually in conversations with the whistleblower before the complaint went public. The minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, has now called for Schiff to step down as chairman because of that. Uh, is this damning news about Schiff that his staff was talking with the whistleblower? Yeah, I think it is because what it does is it raises questions about whether this was really a legitimate complaint by an intelligence analyst over things that he thought were being done wrong in the, in the intelligence agency where he worked or if he's having all these discussions with – uh, the Democratic representative and his staff who's leading the impeachment charge, uh, was this a coordinated, um, biased and partisan uh, a political complaint 
that was being filed for its value in the media and to uh, help spur the impeachment process. You know, it, it raises a lot of questions about the legitimacy of the actual whistleblower complaint. So President Trump, he initially called for the whistleblower to be revealed, although more recently he said that he thinks whistleblowers should be protected if their claims are in fact legitimate. Should this whistleblower's identity be protected or not? Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, supposedly the whistleblower complaint, uh, the, the, whole, the whole purpose of the law is to protect your confidentiality. But the whistleblower complaint didn't seem to be concerned about members of Schiff's staff knowing who he is. So if he was really mm-hmm. worried, why why would he do that? Um, he, there's a balancing act here. On the one hand, look, the whistleblower law is very important and there's a reason why um, it protects whistleblowers so we can find out about fraud and government and, and things like that. But if this forms the basis of impeachment, fundamental requirements of due process uh, require that um, the president and his lawyers be able to question the person making accusations against him. You know, that's why in any state and federal court in this land, uh you have the right to confront whoever is accusing you of wrongdoing. So if this gets to that point um, of, of the, the House imminent, uh, about to approve articles of impeachment or if it gets to the Senate, um, I think the president uh, should be given the right to confront his accuser. Right, right. Well, something that the president has also mentioned is that the rules for whistleblowers were changed – just days before this complaint went public, which raises real questions <laughs> yeah, about who is, who, is, who is this whistleblower and who was behind those rules changes. Um, the previous rules were that you had to have firsthand knowledge right. of wrongdoing in order to get that whistleblower status. The rule change says, no, it can actually be second or third hand information, basically just hearsay, and you can raise the complaint and get whistleblower status. Um, what, does that, what does that say to you? Well, that also raises a lot of qu- uh, questions about the credibility of the inspector general for the intelligence agencies. Now, he's what this is about is the form, the, the complaint form that you previously filled out. Uh, you had to assert you had firsthand knowledge. And all of a sudden, the form was changed recently so that you could check that you either have firsthand knowledge and or, or you have secondhand knowledge, which is considered hearsay. <laughs> That's the legal term yeah. for it. And of course, hearsay is not accepted in any state or federal court anywhere in the, in the country. Um, you know, the, the inspector general is claiming that, oh, well, well, we just changed that because we've always accepted secondhand information. But that's a little hard to believe. If that's true, why did the form say you had to have firsthand knowledge? So again, that to me raises some questions about the credibility of the inspector general. Well, it's been said that uh, Brennan, who was at, at the end of the Obama administration, right. uh, left a bunch of his people actually uh, in the intelligence community as career people. Do you think? Do, do you think that um, this could be one of them uh, trying to cover themselves uh, with whistleblower status and try to get quote unquote get the president? Well, look, we don't know who the person is, so of course that's certainly a possibility. We yeah. we don't really know. I, the one thing I do, I can say, <laughs> this is from my prior experience in the federal government. Um, I, I arrived at the Bush administration uh, early uh, at the start of the Bush administration, and I discovered this happens all the time that there were all these 
uh, Clinton political appointees who had been squirreled away into career ranks inside the Justice Department. And uh, unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that happens all the time. And those individuals uh, who I got to know, um, they basically did everything they could from their career slots to um, stop the enforcement priorities, for example, of President Bush and to cause trouble by, for example, uh, leaking – stories to uh, uh, outlets like the Washington Post whenever it looked like the administration was going to do um, things that they didn't agree with. They, frankly, were some of the most unethical lawyers I've ever had to deal with. So, Hans, how far do you think this impeachment probe will get? We were talking just a few minutes before we got started here. And do you think this is going to be a situation sort of like the Russia collusion investigation was where it's kind of an ongoing thing until it dies down? Or do you think we're going to see any kind of and to this, what is what is your forecast here? Boy, I, I really don't know the answer to that. What I will say is, look, um, we don't know what we don't know, to paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld. But, but through today, um, particularly concentrating on the transcript of the phone call that the president had with the Ukrainian president, look, there's nothing in that phone call um, that that is a smoking gun. There's nothing in that phone call – uh, indicating that the president violated any federal law. And I don't see uh, anything in that letter that would warrant impeachment of the president. Maybe there's other stuff out there. But unless the Democrats can uncover real wrongdoing, serious misconduct by the president, I don't see how they could justify um, uh, approving articles of impeachment. Well, shifting to a story out of New York, which you've recently written about, The Daily Signal, uh, the city's Human Rights Commission, which is not an elected body, uh, has announced that it's banning the term illegal alien from common business usage and threatening to fine people if they use the term. Tell us what this is about. Yeah, not just just a minor fine, up to $250,000. I mean, it's it's a lot. Yeah, they're – they're banning the use of the term uh, illegal alien. They even say the use of the word alien instead of immigrant um, is demeaning um, to illegal alien. So I, I, and we're not talking about just people passing on the street using the word, right? It's like some kind of official capacity. Right. right. This, this is a um, – uh, they have an ordinance in New York that, of course, bans discrimination by uh, employers – Uh, by people who provide public housing, uh, including, for example, uh, landlords of apartments, hotels, et cetera. And uh, they can be fined uh, if they use those terms. Now, what's so bizarre about this is that um, the term alien is the term used throughout federal immigration law. And the term illegal alien is not only used in specific federal statutes – But it's the proper legal term that's used in uh, Supreme Court cases. So so in essence, New York is trying to say that your use of of precise legal terminology uh, is discriminatory and we're going to fine you if you you do that. Like I said, I I can't think of a more fundamental violation of, of the First Amendment besides just being totally absurd. So beyond the official terminology piece, it also seems that this goes against free speech and the First Amendment. Yeah. Do you expect to see a lawsuit brought forth against the city? I would hope so. 
the 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 thing about that is is it'll, it's going to take somebody, either a company or a hotel, who's brave enough to do that because we all know that um, they're probably going to suffer bad publicity because the political orthodoxy today, particularly of of the kind of liberal media organizations that exist in New York City, is that oh you can't use the word illegal alien. You have to use undocumented immigrant, which is a euphemism that was created to hide what's really going on, which is an alien who's in the country illegally. Yeah, the term kind of assumes that, you know, the only problem is you don't have documents, that documents right. are just, you, you know, you, fake and, and arbitrary and you just need your document just like the rest of us. Right. Or you just don't happen to have them with you when you're out and about in the community. It, it, it's – this this is political correctness uh, to the nth degree, and it, it is just so fundamentally wrong. So the city did try to say that this was limited guidance, uh, right. saying that it only applies if you were intending to demean, humiliate, or offend someone. Um, so limiting. Are you are you convinced? Uh, it, n- no, because because look, they say that in this guidance, which is very long, this legal guidance they've issued, but then you read other parts of it, and they clearly believe that just the simple use of those words is demeaning right. and humiliating. So that's that's not really a limitation. Like if you could ask them, can you give me an example of a usage of this term that would actually not be demeaning in your opinion? I, I don't think they could. <laughs> yeah. Man. Okay, well, shifting gears back to D.C., Democrats recently held a hearing that asked the question of whether Trump was in violation of the Constitution by letting foreign dignitaries, wealthy business owners, and others stay at the Trump International Hotel, which is a uh, major five-star hotel near Capitol Hill. They're saying that Trump partly owns the company that owns the hotel, so he might be influenced by people purchasing rooms there. And more importantly, he could be in violation of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution— what do you make of these claims? Uh, they're they're frivolous. Uh, I actually testified at the hearing, and it shows you just how far gone folks in the House are that the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, which you think would be worried about, you know, rebuilding high, interstate highways and bridges, and instead they have a uh, half-day half uh, hearing on the Trump Hotel. Um, the the Trump Hotel is one of only two five star uh, hotels in the city, according to Forbes. Um, the GSA General Services Administration owns the building; it's the old post office building, and it was a dilapidated, rundown uh, building. It was built in eighteen ninety nine, and they put it out for bid to to redevelop it. And a Trump organization, of which uh, Donald Trump at the time was a majority shareholder, but there were other shareholders too, they put in a bid. Uh, they won it in 2013. They rebuilt the heart it. Of, during the heart of the Obama administration. The heart of the Obama administration. They rebuilt uh, the hotel, um, GSA, again, during the Obama administration, and entered into a 60-year lease. And the federal government went from losing, losing $6 million a year trying to maintain this old property to being paid $3 million a year by the, the Trump organization. Um when Trump uh, became president, he uh, he transferred his interest from this company into a trust, and um, so he didn't have any management control or anything about it. Here's the claim that's being made. The emoluments clauses, there are two of them, very obscure clauses, are clauses that say no federal official, including the president, uh, can receive gifts, presents, 
or emoluments from foreign governments, the federal government, or state governments. Emoluments are considered compensation that you receive as you discharge your official duties. So in other words, you know, if the president signs some some bill uh, that provides foreign aid to, uh, you know, some country in Africa, Africa can't send him money saying thank you very much for doing that. Same thing with state governments. State governments, uh, if, he, if he signs some bill that's going to distribute money to a state government, the state government can't pay him anything above and beyond his salary. Yeah. But emoluments don't include um, uh, the business of a president, um, a business where people are paying the fair market value right. for services in an, in an open market. It, that, that's not emoluments. And in fact, all you got to do is look back. I mean, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson kept running their plantations and farms and they sold their agricultural products abroad. What, what Was that illegal emoluments? Oh, of course not. Or, or under their under the uh, the most ridiculous part of this theory. Remember, you, you can't get anything from state governments either. <laughs> uh, under the view that anything of value that a president gets is is, is a prohibited emolument, uh, Bill, both Bill Clinton and Ronald Reagan violated the emoluments clause because you know they received pensions from their respective states from when they were governor while <laughs> they were president. You know, yeah. it's just a. It's it's just another way of going after the president, and you know the claim the claim was made this hearing. Well, the only reason foreign diplomats and others stay at this hotel is they're trying to curry favor with the president. Um, well, that ignores the fact that uh, look, I've been in this town a long time. It's one of the nicest hotels in the city. Right. I mean, it's a great place to stay, and you know, if you're somebody with a lot of money, you're a jet setter, you're a foreign diplomat. Uh, that's the place you're going to want to stay. Right, especially if you want to get close to Capitol Hill. I mean, it's the only one, it's, the only five-star hotel right there. That's exactly right. It's on Pennsylvania Avenue. It's within walking distance of the White House. It's not very far from the Capitol. I mean, I, you couldn't, couldn't get a better location. Now, some might say, okay, yeah, state state officials can't uh, give the president money. Right. But that's why you would expect countries like Russia and China to have front companies out or, you know, middlemen to funnel the money to the president so that they don't have their fingerprints on it. How would you respond to that? Because people might say, yeah, you got all these, you know, businessmen with Russian names staying at the Trump hotel. That sounds awful suspicious. Well, first of all, it's not going to the president directly. It's going to a company that he owns a share in and, and he has now put it in a trust and has said that uh, the, the, the payments received from any foreign diplomats or foreign government officials um, for staying in the hotel and paying the market price for a hotel uh, is going to be paid over to the U.S. Treasury. So he, he, he's not profiting from it at all. I, I think it's just a silly uh, claim. There are several pending lawsuits. Um, one of them uh, that was filed by uh, uh, Maryland in the District of Columbia just got thrown out of court by the Fourth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. So final question, Hans. If there was some kind of wrongdoing here, some wrongful influence going on that did violate the Emoluments Clause, what would that look like? A violation of the Emoluments Clause would be if a Russian government official sent something of value to the president because – they're happy about something he did in his official duties. So uh, if, for example, remember, we have sanctions right now against the Russians, right? 
Um, in fact, we have some of the strongest sanctions that have been put in since the Trump administration came in. If uh, if suddenly those sanctions were lifted by the president, which is, you know, he did, did his official duties, and the Russian government sent him a a, a payment of ten thousand dollars, or uh, sent him a horse, <laughs> as the king of Spain did to John Jay, oh, uh, you know, two hundred years yeah. ago, that would be a prohibited emolument. But uh, paying for a room at a hotel that is not an emolument. How did the horse situation end? Did he keep it? Yeah, I think he. I think he did. And and Dang. look, did he get prosecuted for that? Uh, no, because that was before that was before the Constitution of the Emoluments Clause. Ah, uh, there you it, go. Right, so. Off the hook. Well, Hans, uh, thanks for coming in and covering uh, all the news items. Appreciate uh, appreciate your coming in. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I want to tell you about our favorite morning newsletter. It's called The Morning Bell, and it'll change the way you experience the news. Every weekday, we at The Daily Signal deliver the top news and commentary directly to your inbox, all for free. Morning Bell gives you quick access to the policy debates shaping Washington, analysis from experts at the Heritage Foundation, and commentary from top conservatives like Ben Shapiro, Michelle Malkin, Dennis Prager, and others. It's super easy to sign up. Just go to dailysignal.com and click the Connect button in the top right corner. As soon as you sign up, expect the newsletter in your inbox the very next day. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Pippa. And please leave us a review or a five-star rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. The Daily Signal podcast is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Lauren Evans and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit dailysignal.com.